What's up, my fellow lionesses and lions? Welcome to the Project Lioness podcast. We are here to disrupt the mainstream narrative when it comes to health, holism, and human consciousness. We are here to share bold truths about health and life from a female perspective. This episode is brought to you by our team, Inspire Co., where we stand for your health being inspired by choice rather than being inhibited by chance. Thank you for being here and joining in on these raw, real, and powerful conversations. We hope our show brings you inspiration and empowerment to overcome challenges, reclaim your life, and ultimately pursue your mission with power, purpose, and play. Now, let's get into the episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back. It's Dr. Mel. And today I am solo casting. And today's episode is going to be very personable, personal, vulnerable, and freeing. I think for me and those of you who listen, who have experienced some form of sexual trauma. So yes, we're going to be talking about sexual trauma and I'm going to be getting raw and real and sharing some of my experiences and what has been so in my inner world as a result of root experiences that involved sexuality and sexual experiences. So if I cry, if I need to take a step and breathe, take a sip of my beverages, that's why. You know, I, I anticipate this podcast being one of maybe more non-linearity. There's a power in speaking to just speak without having... Trust me, I got bullet points. (laughs) Of course, the achiever in me made bullet points of how you can support your own sexual healing. So there will be value. And there will be value, I hope and intend. Why I felt deeply called to do this podcast is because I felt within this need to talk about our inner experience of what occurs when we have felt moments of fragmentation. And we've perceived ourselves to be less than whole after things like trauma or what I refer to as root experiences that shape our biology, that shape our perception, that shape our neurology. And I want to share and embody what's possible. I think in the trauma talking and trauma work that people talk about nowadays, it can be very easy to like just talk about it. And what really happens is, is trauma is a somatic experience. Trauma is a felt experience in our body. And so many of us are talking about ways, but not actually living it and feeling our way through our journey back towards wholeness. So if at any point in this podcast, you feel called to also cry, <laughs> to also reach out for support, 
with your loved ones because we don't have to do this alone and trauma healing is not meant to be done alone. I see a lot of people talking about doing the work in your space (laughs) and I've been guilty of saying that. Um, But one of the biggest things that's been really like magically healing for me is knowing that I have a support system. And sometimes that support system doesn't come from your family. So I just want to preface this podcast by saying on the other side of the journey that I'm going to be sharing, where you may feel stuff in your own being, I want to share what's possible when you take a stand for yourself and know that pleasure, not just sexual pleasure, but any form of pleasure, as I've mentioned in one of my other podcasts, is accessible to you and it's your birthright. So accessing pleasure after sexual trauma. Why am I talking about this? Well, statistically, one in four adults have been molested and were molested as a child, often by someone really, really close to them, whether it was a family member, someone in the neighborhood, a close friend. And unfortunately, our culture, especially in America, has a lot of shame and guilt around experiencing pleasure and sex. And most of the time, that's because we didn't get to witness what it was like to have maybe a healthy relationship with our sexuality. And I talked about this in one of my other podcasts, but when we repress and suppress our own sexual desires, our own needs for pleasure, it will distort and be manifested in very interesting ways where there's power dynamics and pride and shame dynamics in the form of sexual addiction and imbalances in our culture. And all of it's a feedback loop to get us to wake up to our own sexuality and our own sexual desires. I would say in the last year, this is probably the most that I have talked about pleasure, talked about sexuality, talked about what it's like as a woman to experience pleasure and There used to be a shakiness in my voice around that. And I've realized that through my own healing and wholeness journey from trauma and root experiences that I'm grateful for those experiences. There were a lot of lessons. I couldn't have told you that I was grateful five years ago, but I've learned that I have a deeper purpose on this planet when it comes to embodiment and when it comes to expressing the possibility of power and empowerment for not just women, but men as well. So my story is really all I can speak to in this. I can speak to what's happened inside of me in my own somatic experience and paint the picture as best as I can. And I can share this and I feel called to share this because I know through work with my clients and people I come across every single day that I am not alone in this experience. And it's taken me some time to be able to get to this point to talk about the things I'm going to talk about and not feel ashamed about it. Because for so long, I felt alone. I felt alone in my journey. I felt ashamed to talk about it. And I really didn't know how to talk about it. And for those of you who have done any sort of study about the brain and trauma, trauma isn't a cognitive experience. It's somatic. And when we're in that moment of fragmentation and something is happening, 
we lose access to our meaning. Our brain actually starts to shut down. The left prefrontal cortex shunts blood and energy to other brain centers that deal with our survival and our central nervous system. And so it's natural to feel blacked out because it's a protective mechanism. Our nervous system is intelligent. And over time, as I've done nervous system work and cleared my own body, mind, and energetic state, I have started to access memories again. And not that I relived it, but they were flashes in my mind. And so I'm going to talk about what that was like, what prompted me to start to explore what the hell was going on in my body and why I was having these experiences and what's been really helpful for me. I'm also going to share what was true in my numbing out experience and how I dealt with it. And perhaps you can see yourself in some of these strategies and coping mechanisms. And again, these strategies worked. A strategy works when you deploy it until it no longer works for you. And eventually your nervous system will tell you it's time for a new strategy. And trust me, I got a lot of wake-up calls in that, in that experience. Um, and I'm grateful for those, for those wake-up calls. So another, another point here, when I, when I was taking notes of this podcast, much of this I wasn't aware of. And we don't become aware of all the little cues until we actually have a moment to look back in time and to see how far we've come. And when you study this, you're like, holy shit, my biology was trying to get me to wake up at that moment and then that moment and then that moment. And I just continued to ignore it and played whack-a-mole. So sometimes we don't realize all these little cues from the universe and our nervous system until we look back in time and say, damn, I'm grateful that that one wake-up call was just large enough to get me to alter and shift the trajectory of my life. So sometimes you don't see how all the pieces come together until you look back in time and how all of the dots actually did connect. And there was a lot of synchronicity there. So my story. When I was between the ages of probably about six to eight, it's a, it's a little fuzzy in my brain, mind, I experienced what the culture would call sexual molestation from a family friend. And at the time, when I was that age, my parents were separated. So my dad wasn't living with us and there was already instability in the family. And again, I can only speak to what my experience was, but at that time, the undertone of my lived experience was like kind of quirky, confusing, didn't really know what was going on with my parents, didn't know why this thing with this family friend was happening to my body. Um, you know, it's interesting too, people don't really talk about this when it comes to children who are touched from adult figures or, you know, figures older than them that we perceive to be a leader or someone who's taking care of us, like a caregiver, right? We don't talk about that when you're being touched in that way in your genitalia, sometimes you experience pleasure in a moment where you also know that this doesn't seem right. Like you're touching me here, you're stimulating an organ, 
a, a sex gland, an organ that can create like increased libido and increased pleasure sensations, all while at the same time recognizing, I know this isn't right. And even at that young age, I knew, like that's the undertone of the energy. Like I knew in my body, I was like, this doesn't seem like we shouldn't be doing this. You know, like you're, you're a caregiver and I'm, I'm this child. And yet, well, I guess if I want, if I want to be liked by older people, then I guess I'll just go along with this, this thing and kind of just lay here and I'm getting right into it y'all. Um, and that, that's how it manifested. And it happened multiple times throughout the, that kind of age span. So I just want to speak to that because I don't think a lot of people talk about that when it comes to trauma. We like talk about trauma, right? Like, oh, it was, it was molestation. It was rape. It was domestic violence. But we don't actually talk about what's like in the body. And I get that that can be hard. So if there's moments of this podcast where you're feeling a lot of sensation in your own being take a breath like you're safe you know that it's it's not happening and the only reason why that why not the only reason but many reasons have added up where I'm able to stay in this conversation and talk about these things because I have received the wisdom and the gifts from it through the pain and the trauma and through the continuous memories that would show up so that's what, it, that's what it was like between, you know, ages six to eight. And remember, this, this conversation may be totally nonlinear. There may be open loops that I don't complete. There may be things I share and I just move on to the next thing. And that can just be okay. Like <laughs> giving myself permission to have it be okay. Um, and when I first started looking back at that timeline as an adult, as older Mel, it was really hard to talk about because trauma isn't meant to be talked about necessarily when you first start exploring healing those fragments. It's meant to be felt. It's meant to be cleared in your nervous system. It's meant to be processed through somatic movement and sound. It's not meant to be thought. And I think that's one of the issues and concerns I have with like too much cognitive and talk therapy is we're not actually getting to the root of where the trauma exists. And I'll get to how I sensed into that later in this episode. So yeah, ages six to eight, fun times. <laughs> um, sometimes you have to joke about shit, right? I think it, it has added to my like curiosity and humor in life. And then by age, so my parents got back together. I don't have any memories of that experience continuing what I'm calling molestation, right? I don't perceive myself as a victim. Um, I've done a lot of work with Dr. John Martini's work that I'm trained in to also facilitate to get really clear about those experiences and not let it have a charge on me and get reactive. So with that, growing up then into about age 10, my parents officially got divorced. My brother and I were in the same school at the time and we were separated. <laughs> so it's as though my brother and I went through a separation because he went to a different school than I did for the remainder of our elementary school. And that was like, I, I don't know how much that impacted me. I think it might've impacted Michael Moore. I'm not going to speak for him, but you know, I was definitely in a state of anger, 
confusion, probably a lot of deep rage. I would find ways at that age to deal with my emotions through bullying, mainly Michael. Um, and I didn't, again, realize this at the time. I, I thought I was just like a mean older sister, but I realized I had so much anger and confusion and rage. And I took my energy out on him. I took it out on food. I eventually got really fucking good at sports, like aggressively good. <laughs> Those of you who knew me back then, I, I was a goalie in high school. And uh, well, since I was eight years old, essentially since my parents were getting closer to, to a divorce, I was a goalie and I was very aggressive. Um, in high school, I got a red card as a goalie. And if you know the sport of soccer, um, getting a red card as a goalie is an interesting <laughs> phenomenon. Uh, my dad and I still laugh at that. I punched a girl. That's what happened. Um, she slide tackled. See, here's the nonlinearity of this, right? You kind of like bounce back and forth between the timeline, but I promise it'll all make sense. Um, <laughs> it's just healing to like be in a nonlinear conversation, right? And that's that's what we all need. So I'm giving you permission to do that. But I think I was like 17, we were playing Matamidai and they were always the best in our, our conference. And this girl had a breakaway. She, I smothered the ball, so I saved the breakaway, but then she continued to slide tackle into my face. And I think that's like why my nose is kind of crooked. And I proceeded when I got up, I, I punched her just to be like, yo, this is my home. I was, I was very well trained as a soccer goalie. I had a soccer coach and I had a goalie coach for like 10 years. And one of the things they instilled in us was like, your goalie box is your home and you guard the fuck out of your home. They probably didn't use the F word, but they were very great coaches, Shannon and Shelly. And so that's, that's, that's what happened. So my rage and anger definitely showed up as bullying, as aggression on the sports field, and as like ultra achievement in school. And I've mentioned that multiple times in this podcast where I was so fearful of failing and I wanted to please people older than me who I had in leadership positions in my mind so that they would accept me. And you can start to see this like inter, like interplay or this energy in different moments of my life play out from that root experience as a child where I wanted to feel accepted by someone that I looked up to because in a moment of time where my family had a lot of instability, I was looking for stability. I was looking for connection. And I know my mom listens to this podcast. Um, my parents were also very supportive. So I just want to say that like, even though there was a lot of turmoil and, and what I remember like yelling in the house at times and eventually instability when my parents were divorced and we went back and forth between their houses, they were also supportive of me, as were my grandparents. And I do think that some of that stability and my aunt um, really did help me move through what could have been a much more tumultuous time. So there's many ways that those root experiences from molestation to separation to essentially divorce into teenage years of being a little bit more promiscuous and again, desiring to be seen, to be heard, regardless if I gave up some of my boundaries when it came to guys and boys. And this manifested in other ways as far as numbing out strategies. 
Um, and, you know, again, I'm sharing this because <laughs> y'all have probably been there. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast and you feel called to like the Project Lioness energy, chances are you have some version of this in your life. And so it might resonate, but things that really worked for me at the time were food. I definitely used food, like emotional eating for sure. I used sports. I used studying until midnight to get the best grades possible, which all of those can be perceived as like, good job, you're an achiever. But in reality, I was just totally disassociated from like feeling my emotions. And again, this was in like the early 2000s. So I didn't, you know, I remember my mom trying to take me to therapy at like age 12. <laughs> and I hid in the bathroom because I, it might have even been stage 10, which thanks mom for trying. But at age 10, I hid in the bathroom. I was like, I'm not fucking talking about my emotions. Like, yeah, right. I'm going to go take it out of the soccer pitch, um, which, you know, I think it did help me tame my leadership a bit. But other ways that this not, this came out was I started drinking at the age of 14. Um, I started smoking weed at the age of 14. Eventually, when I got into college, I was decently promiscuous. Um, I only had like one boyfriend in high school. But in college, I just kind of like let loose on the handles. Um, I remember my sophomore year of college, I think I was stoned like every single day that summer. Um, I would wake up, I would get high, I'd go to work for a little bit, like four hours, and then I'd come home and just get high on the way home and then get high at night. And it was just, you know, we were just having a good time. And that also was matching the weekends of like rage drinking, partying, getting blackout drunk. I would, y'all, I mean, I would get blackout drunk to the point where it'd be 2 a.m. and I would be calling my mom sobbing and crying and not really remembering it and being like, why doesn't dad talk to me? And like, why, you know, all this shit came up when I was blackout, right? What do they say that alcohol is like the, the truth serum. <laughs> so all that stuff came out. And, um, it's really interesting to reflect back on this and to like speak this, but other ways it came out when it comes to like numbing out strategies, don't mind my dishwasher in the background, making a lot of noise. Um, other ways it came out was being promiscuous, as I said. So I had one boyfriend in high school. Um, I had a couple boyfriends like before him, but nothing sexually oriented. Couple makeout boyfriends in middle school, you know, where you're just like learning like what's what is this like to like be with a guy? Um, I always think I was 13 when I started getting promiscuous. Well, I don't even like the word promiscuous, but when I started exploring you know, what it's like to be intimate with a, with a human being. Um, first time I had sex, I was 17. And then when I got to college, I, him and I broke up and I was like, freaking let's go fair game, letting like ripping the chains off. And there were moments and times where I would be at parties and I knew how to like, unfortunately like manipulate my energy and use my body and use my sexuality to like get what I wanted which was not necessarily the most healthy thing um so it was manipulative on my end because at a very young age 
I had been exposed to the sensation of pleasure and what that was like to experience that in my body. Again, in a potentially distorted way. But there's a lot of gifts in that. So I'm just like getting raw and real with y'all. Like shit happens, right? Trauma manifests in many different ways. And I believe now through my work, what I was really wanting in college was I just, I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be heard. I wanted to be validated in my needs. I, I, I deeply wanted to connect with something and someone that felt meaningful. And I, you know, when you're consuming a lot of alcohol and drugs, your perception of that is distorted. Um, and again, I don't, I used to have a lot of shame for that too. Like I, people would call me, you know, your party animal, but at the same time I was getting all straight A's and like fucking rocking it on the rugby pitch. So there was like this ultra responsible achiever part of me. And then there was this other like dark part of me that just wanted to escape into the abyss of rugby houses and just like get promiscuous and wake up. Honestly, there were times I would wake up and, um, someone would be next to me, a guy would be next to me. And there were just like moments of like, did we hook up? Did we not hook up? Uh, I don't really know. Um, but probably should take a plan B and, you know, get tested and all was well, right. That was kind of, that was kind of what started to happen because as I got older, I just, again, could sense that something in me was really craving that deep connection and wanting to explore my sexuality, but maybe not having the best ways of doing it or having the best partners of doing it. So yeah, college was interesting. Um, it was fun. I, I would not change it for the world. Um, I'm glad that one, I didn't get pregnant. I was on birth control. So that helped made me gain a lot of weight, but I did not get pregnant. I did not get an STI. Um, I did not, you know, <laughs> thankfully experience any other forms of, you know, what someone would say is abuse or sexual abuse. There were definitely moments where in, I was in incoherent states and probably was sexually active without actually giving true verbal consent. So we can go down the rabbit hole of that, whatever we want to call that. And I'm, it probably sounds like I'm talking about this very like, whoa, Mel, that's intense and you're not really having any emotion. Because I think what the way that I've compartmentalized this in my life was um, I've seen how that's a part of me that although it was expressed with drugs and alcohol and, and sex in that form, um, it was still a part of me and learning to love that and learning to love that we have sexual desires, but sometimes they just come out at, you know, dark basements, dark rugby house base basements. <laughs> Um, I'm sure too, when we experience trauma, um, we do tend to disassociate for protection because what's happening inside of our body is at a capacity that we don't have the capacity to be with. And so we'll disassociate. So I, of course, would say in those moments uh, at, in college, there were a lot of disassociative moments where I was more the observer of the experience and not in the experience, not in the sexual experience. And the way that that looked was, I, I can't count on one hand the orgasms that I experienced in college. I cannot um, because I didn't allow it to happen. It I was not in a state 
or even in an environment with that person and had a connection with that person where that was even a possibility. And even before then, I would say with my relationship in high school, it was very like few and far between. And again, there's a reason why I'm talking about this and I'm, I'm talking about the deep, dark stuff that we don't talk about because I have clients that will share with me, I can't remember the last time I had an orgasm. I can't remember the last time I felt my libido come online. I can't remember the last time I felt sexually stimulated that was pleasurable and safe. And that breaks my heart because I've, I've experienced the depths of that, of like complete disassociation, complete numbing out, complete trauma response in a sexual experience, all the way to the other side where with my current husband... <laughs> current husband that was weird with my husband <laughs> my partner at this moment in time I have experienced like multiple org orgasms for multiple minutes that feel psychedelic that feel extremely spiritual so I think it's important to share that I've experienced the extremes I've experienced the extremes of being having experience of molestation as a young child all the way to like psychedelic godlike euphoria and ex ecstasy in a moment of like orgasmic bliss. So <laughs> it's possible. And I'm probably laughing. My laughter right now is, is probably a little bit of a, it could be a trauma response. It could be a, a stress response, right? You know how some people will like laugh when there's like, <laughs> this is really awkward or they'll like crack a joke. That's because part of us feels a little bit uncomfortable with the situation. Because as I'm recording this, I'm imagining the listeners and the types of listeners. And while I know many of you really appreciate this conversation, I also know there's like certain family members that listen. And for me as an adult woman to talk about experiencing orgasm, well, maybe my, you know, family members are listening is, is its own thing, right? So I'm just like somatically processing that right now. Um, but I'm an adult and I still have childlike tendencies, right? Don't we all? We all have our inner child that wants to be expressed. So I've experienced this range and I really desire and really hold the possibility that if you are someone who has experienced a version of this, a version of numbing out, a version of disassociating because of trauma, I hold the possibility that on the other side, pleasure is still accessible to you. It still is. And there's just layers and veils that have kind of wrapped around you. And we get to peel those off together. And you don't have to do it alone. And, you know, psychedelic orgasmic bliss doesn't have to be your goal. And it wasn't my goal. Trust me, when I went into this healing journey to like, you know, get whole from my sexual trauma. I did not know that that was like a thing. <laughs> I always, I did know it was a thing cognitively, but I was like, oh, that won't be me. I won't be that person on a podcast talking about psychedelic orgasms. No, that's, I'm just going to like have, you know, the standard orgasm. It's going to feel great. And, you know, if I see some colors, great. No, 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 it's possible. And, uh, and just holding the space of possibility, not that you have to set a goal like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. That's also not the way to heal it, right? Part of experiencing pleasure is being curious and not setting a goal because if you don't hit that goal, then you're going to have your own shame and guilt spiral around it, right? <laughs> also, I'm kind of laughing because, well, I've, I've been laughing. 
um, just perceiving myself differently in this moment of what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm going to take a sip of water here. As I said, raw, real, unfiltered, bold truce. And it comes out in my own processing. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna numb out as I'm speaking to this, I'm not gonna numb out my own somatic experience and what I'm experiencing in my body just sharing this. So I shared a little bit of what's possible on the other side. It wasn't until so I'm still in this journey, right? Going through childhood, experiencing these things and sharing how they manifested in my body, in my life to show that if you've had such experiences or similar ways of living your life, there may be some distortion from trauma underneath the surface that you get to explore and unpack versus labeling yourself as an addict, an alcoholic, um, an overachiever, you know, anxiety and just numbing yourself with maybe more medication or labeling yourself. All of these things I'm sharing were a result of certain voids that I experienced that I was trying to fill within myself. So there was nothing wrong with me. Sure, were there judgments and perceptions of like, this is the type of person you are? Uh, yeah, right. That That's a real thing. And to share another side of what's possible for you, all of these things, if you've experienced versions of it, are all feedback loops to get you to wake up that there's a part of you that is living out of alignment with your true authentic self. So thankfully, I came across my husband, Ben, when I transferred to the University of Minnesota. So I went to Mankato for two years and then I transferred to the University of Minnesota up in the Twin Cities. And when we first met, it was like, hey, you're cute. We made out, you know, whatever. But something was different about his energy. And again, like I said, I, 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 I knew how to like get what I wanted, right? Like firstborn child, when you deal with trauma and your default response is overachieving, you, you know what, how to get what you want. And sometimes it's manipulative. And, you know, I was like, he's really cute. Um, you know, maybe this will go somewhere. Again, my tendency was like, oh, in order to be liked by this guy, I need to put out, Right. And I would imagine a lot of you women have probably felt that way, where in order to be liked, I need to use my body. I need to use my sexuality in a way that doesn't feel in alignment. But hey, you know, if it gets him, then I guess I'm willing to sacrifice that dignity. So with Ben, it was very different because as things would kind of heat up, he was like, hey, you know, like we don't have to we don't have to like do this thing. We don't like have to like hook up. Um, I'm really enjoying like getting to know you and talking to you. Let's just like slow down. And I was like, what? <laughs> like my whole nervous system was like, excuse me, can you, can you say that again? Which honestly was so refreshing. I was just like, holy shit. Like we could be, we could be playful, right? Kiss, whatever like hug and at the same time there was a desire to get to know who I was and that's not to say like my previous relationships that wasn't the case but this was very different and I was like oh okay I like this I like this 
So we continued to connect and get to know each other and the rest is history. <laughs> no, I'm not going to go through like my 10 year relationship with him, but it will be 10 years. This, this, it is 10 years that we have been together since those good old U of M days. <laughs> um, but it, there was something different that I listened to in my body. It felt like a lightness. It felt like part of me beyond the physicality and beyond the looks was being seen. And that felt really, really good because that's, that's really what I wanted in a relationship to be more than just a physical body, to be more than just like a piece of meat, right? But I, I wanted to be seen in my intelligence and I wanted to be seen in my creativity and my all my gifts I have to contribute to the world. And he he saw that. So thanks, babe. Love you. Don't know if you're going to listen to this podcast, but shout out to all the Bens in the world. Anyway, now, <clears throat> just because I had found a relationship that felt like safe and I could explore these parts of my being being that I hadn't explored because I wasn't in a safe container doesn't mean that the healing was over. So at the time that we got together as a couple, I was going to chiropractic school. And as I went through school, at the end of my schooling, I started to have these kind of flashbacks of these memories. Because from that moment in childhood of like ages six to eight, up until probably age 25, I don't really have any like massive memories of that experience. Like I totally blacked it out, which we will do in trauma. You will often black it out. Again, for intelligent reason, the body and the mind, the mind rather doesn't want to process that because it can be intense. So it'll put it in the back of the mind. It'll forget about it. There's not really a cognitive memory that's formed, but there is a somatic memory that's formed. And especially if you're someone who's experienced trauma even before the age of six, it's going to be way more somatic than it is cognitive because you're more of a, a body, right? If you think of little babies, like they're all like their body, their higher brain hasn't even been stimulated yet. It's there, but it's not stimulated and fully developed. So that is what trauma does. It's almost like a stroke-like experience where you lose cognitive access. And when you start to clear your system, Sometimes you will start to have somatic memories emerging and rising to the surface to get even more whole and complete. And the way that that manifested for me and the way that I knew there was more to explore here and get more whole and complete with and have less shame and guilt was every time I would drive to school and passed by what is now my current office. At the time, I did not know it was my current office, which is kind of a trip. And every time I would go past Mendota on 62 to get to school, I would experience this like massive anxiety in my chest. And I wasn't a person who really felt anxiety in my life. I definitely had family members that dealt with really bad anxiety. But for me, I felt just like in my own being at the time. And now I know there's a lot different version of being in your own being, but I never felt that chest tightness, that shortness of breath, that racing heart, tension in my neck. And I had done a, a little bit of work and a little bit of reading at this point about trauma and more about the nervous system, of course, because that, that is my degree is, you know, chiropractic, focusing on the spine and the nervous system. And I kept dealing with this and I was like, what the hell is going on? And with this somatic experience in my body, I also started to have flashbacks of when I was between the ages of six to eight. 
of getting touched, of being young, of being confused, of, you know, being on the couch when my parents weren't home and this thing was happening with this person. And it felt very dark and it felt very scary. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, what is that? I don't, I, what is going on? Why is this all of a sudden coming up? Now I look back and I'm like, oh, because I'm meant to lead people in this way, right? <laughs> right before I opened my practice. Here you go, Mel. Here's the medicine. Anyway, so instead of, and at this point I had made a significant shift in my life where I was drinking a lot less alcohol. I wasn't raging. I wasn't blacking out. I wasn't really smoking any weed at all. I had completely changed my diet. I had lost 60 pounds, almost 70 pounds. And I was really owning my system and my body. And at the time, Ben and I were a number of years into our, into our relationship. And in the beginning of our relationship, uh, the sexual experiences were were awesome. They were great. They felt safe. They felt fun. And then there took a turning point right at about this time where I was opening a business. So that was a thing. And also having these memories pop up. And not only was I having memories emerge in my own mind, I was having this physical experience. I was also noticing well, one, getting out birth control also really helped. I'll get in that, get into that with the strategies, but the birth control essentially over time made me fucking crazy. Anyway, not going to get into that in this episode. That's for another episode. But I started experiencing this in, at the same time in our relationship. There would be moments where I, we would be in an intimate experience and all of a sudden I would have a memory and I would freak out and I would be like, get off me. I can't do this. My body would go into freeze. And I was like, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> but that was like the truth, right? And he, I remember it was just, we're, we're past this now, but um, he just felt so bad. He was like, what can I do? Like, did I do something? And I was like, no, I'm just, I'm just having an experience. And at the time I didn't have the language. I did not have the language of what was happening. I did not know what was going on. All I knew was that we'd be having sex. And then all of a sudden I was like, holy shit, get off me. And my body would just like, Voof. and so, I share this because one, if you're in a relationship and you're noticing this, it means that there's probably a trauma response in your system that's wanting to complete and it's coming to the surface to be looked at. Another thing is don't blame your partner and don't blame yourself. Trauma and becoming whole and healing is completely nonlinear. So this stuff can emerge at any time because maybe there was a moment in time where you're with your partner and your body's in a position that that position reminds you of the position you were in when you were either molested or raped. And all of a sudden, boom, there's that somatic experience that comes rushing through because your body is having this memory that's coming to the surface to be completed. So it's coming and you're feeling it in your bones, you're feeling it in your muscles, you're feeling it in your breath and you have that trigger response. And so I knew enough of that to be like, pause, breathe, I'm safe. And what really did help at the time that this first started coming online was one, I have an amazing partner who just could sit with me and like hold me and like let me cry. And it there were moments where he did feel bad and we've worked through that. And I said, it's not you, it's me. And it's not even me, it's just an experience. And this also manifest so one it, it man that's another way it manifested at this time as you can see again non-linear i'm kind of all over the place here but i'm getting to the point of how it manifested and what i started to do to help make it more whole and integrated 
it wasn't integrated, right? That's the key here is these experience need, experiences need to be integrated into the body. So that was one where I would all of a sudden just go into a freeze response in sexual activity. Another way that it manifested was I would disassociate. And so it would be like I was observing us having sex versus like actually being in my body because I didn't at times feel safe in my body. And again, this wasn't the beginning of our relationship. This was like halfway through where I started just doing deeper work and getting like more connected to him. And there's just a depth that our relationship was reaching that like I was like, whoa, this is this is bringing up some stuff for me to heal. So I would sometimes disassociate, not all the time. I'm much better at being in my body, but you know, I'd be in my head sometimes. And sometimes it takes time, like as a woman to like get out of your head and into your body. Still have to work on that. Uh, There were other times in the relationship, which I do attribute a lot of this to birth control, where I just had like no, my libido was just off. Um, Sometimes it would be rampant and other times for months on end, it would just be not there. And I, I would feel bad and I'm like, Again, it's not, it's not my partner. It's, I didn't feel safe. And I started to feel shame with these memories coming up of like, Hey, I had these memories as a child. And at times in that childhood experience, there were, there was pleasure that was activated because, you know, they were stimulating my sex organs and glands, but I felt shame around that. And I started noticing like my pleasure capacity, like wanted to expand, but I didn't know how to be with it. Right. And so I had this idea of what pleasure was. And then I could just tell, I was like, oh, there's like more here for me to explore. So those are some ways it manifested. Other ways that it's manifested is control. So wanting to control the whole entire sexual experience where I couldn't just receive from my partner and kind of let them be in more of that I don't want to say dominance position, um, but more, they were more in control. I'm in more the receiving role. That was also really hard for me. I felt like I had to be in control a lot. Otherwise, like if I didn't get it just right, right. If I didn't, if I didn't get the position just right, then it wouldn't be worth it. You know, it was very like achieving in sex. It was very like, we need to get to the end goal versus like, let's just experience pleasure. And if it ends in orgasm, great. If it doesn't, great. Like it doesn't have to be this, this thing that is just always like checkbox. Right. And again, we're still working on this. Um, this is something we have gotten much better at over our 10 years together. So that's how it was manifesting in my life. And I paid attention to that rather than numbing out or judging myself or saying, I have a low libido or I'm a bad partner. I was like, no, there's, there's something here. And again, I'm sharing my journey and my perspective because more often than not, there's a lot of thematics here. I think that women experience in their relationship and they, they judge themselves, they shame themselves. Maybe they feel shameful that they have a different style of pleasure One of the things my husband and I have done in this, kind of getting now into like what has helped me, one of the things that we have really appreciated is knowing that we have different sexual styles. We have different sexual blueprints. And this comes from the erotic blueprint if you want to take a quiz. And everyone has a different turn on, which I think is important to understand. Something that I have a theory of is those of us who have experienced trauma, sexual trauma, we might have a little bit more of a kink 
or we might have different ways that we get turned on and increase our pleasure centers than just your average vanilla sex. And that's okay. And for a while, I would be like, oh, that's weird. Um, I don't know about that. Like, and then my husband and I just got real and we took these quizzes and I was like, what do you, you know, we're, we're getting real, we're getting raw. Like, what, what do you think about this? What do you think? And so communication is very important. Um, so yeah, let's, let's get into like what has helped me, what has helped my relationship. And I hope this is serving so far. We're already like 48 minutes in. I'm going to take a sip of water and just like let my body process for a second. I also invite you to do the same. <laughs> that was a lot. Um, making sure that I'm staying in my body and inviting you to stay in your body too. If you've listened to previous episodes, when I talk about pleasure, there's an orientation practice that allows you to just stay present. So I'm just kind of doing that right now. If you can't see me, I'm just opening up to my surroundings a little bit. Very grateful that I have these strategies. So I think I could just keep talking and talking and talking, but it's important to like integrate this for myself and, and for you too, you know, take a moment, look around, notice what feels good. My fireplace is going. This is a really healing podcast for me too, in the sense of, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you think that you have to like have it all perfect at times. Like I have to flow this way in the podcast and I need to make these points and like get my content across and bring value and be all shiny and like have it all, all together. And like healing is just not fucking that way. Like it's just not, it's not leadership is fucking messy sometimes and being a leader can be the most beautiful thing and also dismantling old ways of leadership can feel so freeing and yet hard there's been many moments where I'm on the ground crying and I don't know why but I just let it happen because on the other side there's space there's just space to be and space to create, space to feel and just be at home in your body. Being at home in your body and like loving your body and being fully here and fully vacant and occupied or non, I guess, no vacancy, right? Whatever. Like just occupy your space, occupy your physical matter is so fucking freeing. <sighs> open loops. Remember, open loops. Sip of my drink here. One of the open loops I'm realizing now that I've taken a step back and reoriented myself, which is a very powerful thing to do if you notice sensations in your body from conversations. Trust the biology. 
So when I was driving past my now office of six years, which is just trippy, so many synchronicities in the story, I connected with um, Jennifer Phoenix. I think she listens to this podcast. I definitely want to bring her on as a podcast guest. She was one of the first practitioners in the mental health space that really helped me breakthrough of my loop of trauma that I was in as far as like this anxiety and these memories. For a while, I was already before her, I was receiving network spinal care, which was really, really powerful for my system to break free and become whole and coherent with like more of my parents' divorce and like the anger I had and just like getting really clear with my relationship with my dad. That was really powerful. Um, and I am a network spinal practitioner. So that was one thing that I had been doing in school and receiving in school that helped me find my wholeness and occupy my body in space time with more pleasure and more safety. And then when the memories came up, I found or we found or the universe brought me <laughs> Jennifer Phoenix and she, she, I'm so grateful she's back in practice and she's really evolved her art. So I'm excited to bring her on the podcast. But at the time she was doing a lot more like somatic therapy and hypnotherapy that involved more of a somatic experience. And I'll never forget my first session with her when I walked in and she's like, you know, why are you here today? I said, you know, I'm having these memories. This is the memory. I'm having this experience of this, this person touching me when I was this age and it's kind of disturbing and I'm feeling a lot of shame and, and, and guilt around it and I don't really know what it is or how to deal with it. And she said, you know, Mel, I, I know that you're not here for labels and I know that you're not here to like get diagnosed with anything. I just want you to know that in the mental health space, we call that molestation. And this was the first time that I had heard this word because I did not like I didn't have a word for it, right? I was just like, what the fuck is this thing? And I almost am like, maybe at some perspectives, it was better to not have a word and just somatically process. But anyway, the, the label helped make some sense. I don't, I, you'll hear me even say root experience or this experience that happened, not even to me, but just this experience that I experienced in life. It's because I've done enough work where I don't want to portray myself as the victim of the experience. Because when you put yourself as the victim, then that automatically allows that person to be the persecutor and the perpetrator for the rest of your life. And I don't believe in operating that way. So what we did was some really powerful, like meditative guided meditation exercise where we went back in time. There's my, <laughs> there's my dishwasher cheering for me. Went back in time and she invited me to complete the loop of what I was experiencing. And so in that moment, in the session, I take this pillow and I was able to like connect with the emotion, right? Because when you're frozen, and again, I just felt really frozen in those situations and like disassociative and like numbed out from my waist down, right? I'm, I'm trying to block and protect myself. She said, you know, beneath the freeze, what's there? And I said, you know, there's, there's fear, there's like maybe some sadness for little Mel and then the anger and the rage. 
in which I had ways of projecting that. And she said, what would the anger and rage do? And I just fucking took this pillow and I just kicked it and like pulled it and chucked it and like, and just moved my body. And I remember sweating. I remember just like panting like a freaking lioness, like after a hunt, just like, just like it was so liberating and freeing. And like, I felt part of my biology turn on. I felt like my inner thighs turn on. That was another thing I would notice is anytime anyone would touch my inner thigh, mainly my husband, I would, I was almost too sensitive where I'd be like, oh, it's too ticklish. Or, you know, my body couldn't handle that type of touch and sensation because it was just an hypersympathetic overdrive and like freeze response where the muscles just frozen in contraction. And it was just like, holy fuck, like, whoa, just this wave of energy. And it was very powerful. It was a very powerful experience. And very, I think, necessary to have a cathartic experience like that to then over time titrate in other things. If you haven't listened to my pleasure titration versus catharsis episode, go back and listen to that and you'll know what I'm talking about. So that was one powerful methodology that I'm very grateful for. And I will bring Jennifer Phoenix on here because she is up to really cool things in the world. And her and I really align on, on ways of healing. And she talks about the tribal wound which is really, really cool. So that was my first experience of breaking through that. And it was really awesome. I also have, have had the joy and honor of working with Dr. John Martini, Dr. Olog Trivedi, where they are both certified in the breakthrough methodology that I am also certified in. They've been doing it way longer than me, but they really helped me essentially look at what gifts came for that experience. And sometimes I hesitate talking about this in fear of being canceled, but here we are. <laughs> if you're still listening, you haven't canceled me yet. Um, but a lot of people, when they talk about these traumatic experiences, they kind of live in like, this happened to me, this happened to me, this happened to me. And it's like a programmed loop of like, and I don't have power in it. And it happened to me. And this is how I identify. And that's fine. It's good to have identification in the world to, to be a set point of where you can go. So having the label of molestation in that chapter of my life was it very important for me to reclaim my power. But after a while, I had exhausted that identity where I wanted to draw energy from something other than my trauma. I wanted to draw it from a different side of me, a different part of me. And so with their work, and that's the type of work that I facilitate, is looking at what gifts have come of this? What deposits in your life bank account have you experienced as a result of this thing that was getting you to wake up to your fucking power? And one of the things, and going through this process a few times, which is also very somatic, you know, my body came out of like shaking and discharging that energy I was holding on to. One of the things I realized is at a very young age, I was able to learn how to experience pleasure. So in a moment, of what didn't feel consensual in the experience, I learned about consent. So in the experience, there's like an anti-experience. And the way I describe this and teach this is if you, th if you think of a yin-yang, right? In the moment that I am avoiding this stimulation, 
I actually learned about the very thing that I was attempting to avoid in my body. And when we become fragmented in trauma, our mind will often only focus on the drawbacks over time and how it didn't serve you and how it's destroyed you and how it has this grip on you. And we don't, if we don't look at, okay, but there was an other side because every single experience, the law of conservation of energy is balanced at an atomic level. If it's not balanced, it's only not balanced in your mind and you have a charge and you hold resentment, you hold shame, you hold pride, you hold guilt. That's where emotional charges come from. And so I had all this, I had all this resentment on these people in my life, including this person that we experienced that sexual experience together. And she, she, yes, she had so much power over me. And I had so much resentment of like, why did you do this to me? And that was causing just all, all anger and resentment in a lot of other ways in my life that was not serving for being a leader, for growing my practice, for being in a beautiful, balanced relationship with my husband, right? So you see this kind of intricacy. I'm closing these loops now over time. And so this Breakthrough work really helped me see that I don't have to be a victim. I don't have to live into an identity. I don't have to live into one-sidedness. And that, in fact, there were gifts and there have been lessons that have really actually served my purpose on this planet. And I was just seeking that throughout a lot of my life. You know, even in college, the moments I had that were of what people would call maybe sexual promiscuity, Tons of lessons there. And now here I am speaking on a podcast about embodiment, leadership, energy, sexual energy, pleasure, the nervous system. I mean, I live, I live for this. I believe that this is why I am on the planet. And so again, I, I share that because I get sometimes people are like, well, that just seems like you're bypassing. Trust me, I did not bypass this shit. Like I, I felt every fucking emotion. And those emotions guided me back to my, my set point, my inner compass. So with the breakthrough work, it's not that you don't experience emotions and you don't experience pain. It's how do you come back to your center? What's the process of coming back to your center? Do you stay out here charged and resentful and angry? Because listen, if you're a leader and you're up to anything in the world where you want to support people, that type of energy is not going to serve you. And you're not going to change the past. The past happened. But what if you could change your perception of the past? Just a thought. If you're curious about what that looks like, that's the type of work that I do with my clients. So I'll drop my... My website is here. I do a lot of workshops about this. I do one-on-one work. I do different breakthrough and embodiment calls. And if that's something that is resonating with you and you're looking for support, reach out to me. That's like literally why I'm here and what I love doing. So the breakthrough work was really helpful. I also had to get clear on communicating my needs very differently than than what I was. You know, I, I expecting your partner to read your mind hasn't really worked that well. <laughs> and I, I've learned over the years that while I'm intuitive and I think that maybe my husband can read my mind, that's not the case. So a couple books I recommend when it comes to communicating my needs, communicating what I am desiring and my requests, not just sexually, but literally any of my needs. And knowing that my needs were valid was one nonviolent communication 
by Marshall Rosenberg and two, Sexual Healing by Peter Levine. Two amazing authors. I would also throw in, and I've said her name before and she's fucking amazing, Kimberly Ann Johnson, The Call of the Wild. Great books when it comes to healing your sexual trauma as well as learning how to communicate your needs and knowing that your needs are valuable and that they matter and that they deserve to be heard. So those are a couple of resources I would share. Drink break. Another thing that I have practiced is more self-pleasure. If you're in a relationship and you're getting mad that your partner isn't picking up on your cues or not like quote unquote getting it right, it's probably related to you understanding your own biology. So don't be afraid to practice your own self-pleasure and understand what do you like? What do you not like? What are you open to experiencing? What are you not open to experiencing? And being okay with communicating that to your partner. Because when you can get on the same page and say, hey, I like when you do that. Can you do that more? Hey, we need a different position that's not working for me right now. Holy shit, your sex life will drastically improve. And this this podcast isn't a, a sex podcast by any means. I, I know people and colleagues that are up to that world and do really amazing work in that world. However, Experiencing pleasure in your sexual life is part of your life and your relationship is part of your life. And so if you're not getting your needs met in that way, it's going to trickle in other ways. So don't be afraid to explore your own biology. It's such a beautiful thing we have access to, right? I think so many people are like so ashamed to like check out this physical earth suit that you have and just experience it because the more that you can feel safe with your own hands on your body, the more that you will feel safe with your partner and communicating those needs. And nothing is weird, okay? Like, it's all good. So one, start with yourself. Know thyself first. And then allow that to ripple into the world around you. So that's something that really helped me is like understanding my biology, understanding what works for me, and beyond just physical touch, emotional connection, All of those things really matter when it comes to moving from trauma to experiencing pleasure in your body. Also, a couple more things and we'll wrap this up. It is okay if you still have moments where you need to stop. That doesn't happen as often anymore, but there's definitely moments in my system where I need to be like, hey, can we just pause for a second? And he knows. Like We've been in this game long enough where he just holds space and we breathe and let the energy pass and oftentimes just holding space like that actually allows the pleasure to come more online because you've been held in a safe container I think so often too with with sexual experiences and being intimate with our partner like this end game of like okay we got to like do the thing and then like get off and then we're done it's like no it's an experience and you don't have to have this like end goal of like if we don't orgasm then it was a failure anytime you experience pleasure and you get to expand that timeline of when you're experiencing pleasure doesn't have to be orgasm that's a win my friends that's a win to your central nervous system right so 
don't shame yourself. If you don't, if neither of you orgasm, but you just like had fun and experienced stimulation and pleasure. Awesome. Like stop shaming yourself. Stop judging yourself. And I'll invite you to consider that the more you allow those pleasureful experiences to expand, when you do get to that moment of orgasm, you're in for a treat. <laughs> but allow it to happen more organically versus like run to the top of the mountain and go as fast as possible. It's like then you're only going to experience like a percentage of what's possible in the orgasmic capacity versus imagine if like every cell in your body could have an orgasm. Again, doesn't have to be your goal, but it's possible if you want it to be. So get to know thyself. Know that it's okay to pause, to say no, to hold space. As a partner, it's important to be like, how can I support you right now? How can I support you right now? And just, just hold space. Sometimes it's just that. Sometimes asking of the question of how you can support someone is the actual support. Because again, back to Mel's teenage self, college self, I just wanted to be supported. I just wanted to be seen. I just wanted to be held. I just wanted to be loved for who I was. And that's, some, that's what we all need as human beings, right? Let's take sexuality out of it. That's what we all want. That's why we're here. We just want to see each other, know each other, love each other for exactly as we are without judgment. So I digress. Thank you all. This is a little bit longer podcast. I really appreciate you being here. I really appreciate if you've listened to this whole thing. Thank you. Um, that means a lot because this is, this is some raw shit. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's really it. You know, I don't need to get into anything more other than Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. <sighs> Thank you for breathing with me. <clears throat> I really hope this served. And let me know if it did. I would really appreciate that. You can reach out to me personally. You can leave a comment if you want. Um, I know, I know that I'm not alone in this. At times it feels like I am, but I know that I'm not. Because I get feedback a lot from clients or people where I know this is landing in your heart. So thank you for allowing me to pour into you and pour into your heart. This was equally as healing for me as I hope it was for you. So I'm going to rest my little voice now. Thank you all for being here. Thanks for tuning into the Project Lioness podcast where we're here to guide you towards your reclamation of your power to inspire you to pursue your purpose and ultimately invite you to play all out in life. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Thank you for joining the Project Lioness podcast. Did you find value in today's episode? Help us impact the lives of others by sharing this podcast with someone you know who would resonate and benefit from the Project Lioness message. Excited to hear more? We invite you to subscribe on whatever platform you're tuning in on. And we'd be so grateful for you to leave us a review about what you enjoy most, as well as what you'd like to hear more of. Thank you so much for all of your support. Sincerely yours in power, purpose, and play. Dr. Mel with the Project Lioness podcast. Keep rising, keep roaring, and keep inspiring.